0: Hello and welcome to Nelfair This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky. I'm looking at my podcoast, Marie, across the Zoom. How are you? I am, um, I'm pretty good this morning. Not too bad. Good. Yeah, we're recording in the morning, so if our voices sound a little bit (laughs) tired, uh, yeah, I got my coffee. (laughs)
1: got your starbucks (laughs) look we're making the same face together
0: oh you do look just like the starbucks girl yeah that an insult i'm sorry if it is but no um no no i i think she's got very
1: smooth skin she does just like you green eyes just like me
0: (laughs) (laughs) besides the starbucks girl what are you fearing today
1: all right, so I'm fearing lots of things, and I was trying to like narrow it down, and I'm actually fearing a movie right now. Ooh, let's hear it. So, I, James, one of James's buddies, texted him, "You have to see this movie ASAP." So, they're texting back and forth about it, and James is like, "We gotta go see this movie," and I'm like, "What okay. the squid thing is it?" No, it's a movie called Titan. Have you heard of this? No. So the premise that I was given was this woman is
0: impregnated by a car. And you still want to see it?
1: Well, no, I was like, I don't know if I want to see that. So (laughs) I, I said, can you text our friend Jeff and ask him if the sex between the woman and the car was
0: consensual? I don't want to watch a woman get raped by a car. Right. I I don't, that's too triggering on so many fucking levels. I'm
1: I'm just telling you, I well, my first question was, Is the movie, is the movie rapey? And he said, There's no rape in it. And I go, So the sex between the woman and the car is consensual. And he texted back, yes.
0: I don't think that's a question that's ever been asked before in the history of humanity. (laughs) I don't think anyone ever Well, when I wondered
1: that or thought that or asked somebody that. that. I go, can you text Jeff and ask him if the sex was consensual between the car and the woman? He was like, seriously? I'm like, yes, I want to know before I go see this movie. And he was like, my wife wants to know. (laughs) (laughs) So. Sorry if I'm ruining something for people who want to see a woman get raped by a car. <laughs> but, but that does I,
0: not happen. That's Or it's reassuring. I, I, uh, I, either way.
1: Yeah. So then James was like, don't research anything about it on the internet because Jeff says, we have to just watch it cold because it's like one of those what the fuck movies that you just got to see. So I was like, all right, sure. And I proceeded to go on the internet and research it. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So they're calling it the <laughs> most shocking film of 2021 and it actually won the Palme d'Or at uh-huh. uh, at Cannes the director the Julia Ducournau okay. I started researching her and I mean this is as horrifying as seeing the movie to me oh wow this is a genre of horror called body horror Have you heard of this before? No. I guess I never thought about it as a genre, but there's a genre called body horror where basically somebody gets like a disease of some sort and the fly would be an example. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so I'm still on the fence as to whether or not I want to see this movie where a woman has sex with a
0: car. Sure. As, As we would all be. Yeah.
1: Watch the trailer. That's all you need. That's probably all you need to see. But I I feel. I'm pretty, not gonna.
0: I'm I'm not gonna. I'm good. I'm good.
1: <laughs> i feel pretty confident that the film is going to be disturbing, and it's it's an interesting thing with certain films that maybe there isn't rape in it, uh, maybe there isn't overt violence towards women. Although when I saw the trailer, it did seem like there was rape or violence towards women. So, oh, okay. So yeah. maybe it's just tonally, but anyway. I've gotten to a point now with certain movies that I research it in advance because I don't necessarily want to put something in my head, if that makes sense. Because yeah. it's like, not that I'm going to have nightmares per se, but I just don't
0: necessarily want to spend my day thinking about that. Um, and I heard that movie about something to do with the squid. Have you heard about that? Um, but it's about people who are forced onto a game show where people actually, they, it's like the hungry, real Hunger Games. And then apparently, there's just a lot of blood and death and gore, but it's supposed to be really good, like social commentary type stuff. Just like they they say that, what was the one that won the Oscar about the family that moved into another family's home? And Parasite. Yeah, I didn't think that was as good as everyone said either, but like social commentary with a lot of gore, like that movie, but it's supposed to be really good. So Curtis wants to see it. I don't know. I don't know. Parasite
1: is one of those funny movies after it won the Academy Award and it was available on Amazon. If you go look at its Amazon page, it's a bunch of people complaining that the movie is in Chinese. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. They're like, I had no idea this was a Chinese. People China- are
0: so dumb.
1: <laughs>
0: Amazon, don't, why are you so dumb? It's not Chinese. And even if it is, oh my God. Okay.
1: Or like they're anyway. getting a review <laughs> because it's not in English and they're getting the language that it's.
0: Ready. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to complain about, I mean, you're even making yourself, anyway. And by the way, before you ask me what I'm fearing, I'm fearing my lisp from these retainers I have from Invisalign, just so you know. So if I sound weird, I'm sorry, but I can't take them out. Like I try not to even eat because Did you get Invisalign. I had Invisalign since May. I had it until like a month ago. Oh. And now these are the retainers and they were late sending them to me. And so I had a week with nothing. And so my teeth had already started to move back. So now my, it's like, it hurts to take them out and in. So I'm basically not even really eating. <laughs> or if I do eat, I eat like really quick and put them back in. Anyway,
1: um, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, so tell me, yeah. Becky, what are you fearing today?
0: Yes, I am going to be a little bit um, coy, I guess you could say, okay. and not give it all away. So mostly what I'm fearing is police work that includes jumping to conclusions very quickly, police interrogations where someone is fed stories and includes lie detector tests.
1: We have the same fears a lot. <laughs> you know, you fear that too? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so this story, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna start kind of at the end and then I'm gonna back up. So I'm not gonna say the last names of the people involved just yet because the story is so bananas. It just, it just y'all need to just stick with me on this one. Um, but I'm going to start in O'Fallon, Missouri on August 16th of 2016. Okay. There's a woman named Pam who dials 911 and she is very calm and she tells the 911 dispatcher that a man had tried to jump into her SUV to kidnap her at knife point. And then she fought him off and ran inside her own home where he chased her and she grabbed a gun and shot and killed him. So here's what she says in the 911 call. Okay, get out, get out, get out, help, she says. And she's very calm saying it. I didn't listen to the call, um, but that description of it is just like really strange. Like, get out, get out, get out, help. And then she literally shoots the guy on the 911 call. Now, I don't really wanna hear somebody get shot to death on a 911 call, so I'm not gonna listen to that call. I think that's a little bit disturbing. And we do talk about on the show how we really like would like to talk about 911 calls at some point because those dispatchers are, I'm sorry, y'all are doing God's work, whatever. Like that is an incredible job to have to put together all the things and stay calm and tell somebody what to do and notify this and that. So she tried to imply that this kidnapping attempt had been orchestrated by another man. The husband of a woman who died in 2011. but when the police investigated, this guy who was murdered' his name was Louis, and what the investigators discovered was that Louis, 11 years previous to this event, had suffered a traumatic brain injury, and this traumatic brain injury would have rendered Louis incapable of planning a kidnapping, attempting a kidnapping, carrying out a kidnapping. Um, parts of his brain that made those kinds of decisions were too damaged for that. So the other things that the investigators discovered was that the woman who called 911, Pam, had bought the knife herself. They, they traced it back to her and that there were four $100 bills in Louis's pocket and in Pam's dresser, they found other $100 bills in the same sequential order of the ones that are found in Louie's pocket, meaning they had been gotten by Pam out of an ATM at the same time, all those bills. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's what the police believe, that Pam lured Louie to her home by telling him that she wanted to reenact a 911 call and that she paid him those $100 bills to get him to come to her home. And that's why they were in his pocket. She also, investigators discovered, had tried to approach other people to get them to do this, to come to her home, to reenact a 911 call, supposedly. That's in air quotes. And she had also tried to get other people to come to her home by posing as a Dateline NBC producer. Now, The people who either didn't believe her or turned her down, I don't know how she found Louie, the connection is not made in any of the articles I read, but if you had been approached by her and, and realized later, that could have been you. I mean, how scary is that, right? I mean, that she needed some sort of a plot and a patsy to murder in order to draw attention away from her in a completely unrelated matter. I mean, this story is so convoluted, okay?
1: like what you're saying sounds crazy where's where does this take place
0: Missouri outside yeah. st louis
1: in missouri this sounds crazy in la somebody going hey can you come over and help me reenact a you know 911 call for my reel or whatever or for right. that's not that unheard of like in fact i've gotten roped into these kinds of projects and now i turn them down like after i did this one project where i played a zombie doctor and I thought Aww. I thought it was going to be simple. It was for this guy to try to enter a competition, and then he gave me like a a four page monologue. What? Yeah, it was like a. Freaking, Did you do it? Yeah, he was super pissed at me too because I couldn't say the monologue right.
0: Yeah, we've already established you don't memorize lines. That's not no, your strong no, no, suit. No. <laughs>
1: it's like a four page monologue, and and like they had to make, they had to make cards for me and I had to try to do it where it wasn't looking like I was reading it. We had to go very slow and I would just have to like at the moment. But the thing is I had the script for like maybe eight hours.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So the fact that I can't memorize very well is one thing. And then four pages, come on, dude. That's a, that's a, I'm guessing that a zombie
0: doctor monologuing didn't win him that contest. No. (laughs) And, um,
1: I'm terrible in it. And for some reason I have a British accent.
0: Wait, you were British? No,
1: no, I wasn't supposed to be British. And everybody watching it thought it was really, really funny. But the director didn't like it. Oh no. (laughs) Because I'm supposed to be like monotone and all that. Like a zombie. Like a zombie, yeah.
0: Well, I hate that I missed that. And if you can find that for us, um, I'm gonna put it on our website. (laughs) i can ask the guy that made the movie if we still have it you just turned your zombie doctor into a british by accident
1: i'm so like here's the thing i was so thrown by all the dialogue that i actually lost my american accent (laughs) (laughs) i i I became british for some reason bizarrely (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> the weirdest episode we've ever, done. <laughs> and I'm including Bradface ASMR. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we have a, like rape and sex, sex with cars, and oh my god. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Here's what authorities believe: she tricked louie into entering her car and drove him back to her O'Fallon, Missouri house, planted a knife on him and a kidnapping note. And then shot him while she was on the phone with 911 as a way to frame someone else connected to a completely separate 2011 murder. What in the fuck am I talking about? Let's back up to 2011. There's a woman named Betsy, and she is married to a guy named Russ. Now, by all accounts, Betsy's fun, fun loving. She works in an insurance office, and she is um, tragically diagnosed with cancer. And she does all the things, you know, chemo and all the things. And then she and her husband plan with their group of friends to do a, a celebration of life trip together. So they all go on a cruise. Well, she finds out right before the cruise that her cancer is terminal and she's basically given an expiration date and she still goes on the cruise. And she has uh, dreams of like swimming with dolphins, which she gets to do on the cruise and And so this woman was really embracing life, right? Well, in her past, dealing with all the things with the cancer and stuff, she had attempted to take her own life, but had sought therapy, had checked herself into a mental institution in order to recover from that. So she was trying her best to embrace life in a way that a lot of people who are suffering from cancer do, you know, once they know it's the end, then- They try to squeeze every ounce of life out of life that they can. And she and her husband were still in love and they were still sexually active. And that's uh, an important part of the story. I'm not just being salacious and like icky. That's just, that's part of the story. So two days after Christmas in 2011, she was found dead. And her husband, Russ, is the one who found her. And on the 911 call, which I've listened to part of, he is hysterical. He had been out with some friends. He'd stopped at the store to buy dog food, I believe, on the way home. And he walks into his living room, and there she is, dead. And he believed that she had killed herself. I believe there was a knife still sticking out of her neck. And he starts crying hysterically. He calls 911, and he He says, my wife has killed herself, and the police get there, and she has not killed herself. She has, in fact, been stabbed to death with multiple stab wounds inflicted after she was already dead, and the police take him in because, of course, the husband did it, and they initially, while the coroner is still counting the stab wounds, they are interviewing Russ about their marriage and they start basically believing right away that he did it like he did it how could you possibly think that this was a suicide and the coroner counted i believe 56 stab wounds some reports say 55 the dateline keeps saying 56 so whatever 55 or 56 stab wounds um how could you see your wife with 56 stab wounds and think that she killed herself that's crazy right so this is one of the things that i'm scared of is how they immediately treat him like a suspect interrogate the hell out of him and then pressure him into taking a lie detector test Mm -hmm. you think he passed that lie detector test marie
1: i think he did
0: he didn't interesting now whether or not he did or didn't
1: well, we've already established that lie detector tests don't necessarily prove someone's guilt or innocence. No,
0: they do not. And the police and the interpreter of the lie detector test can basically do whatever they want with it. So the police come to him and say, you failed the lie detector test. And he keeps saying, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But eight days after the murder, he is arrested. And it takes two years to put him on trial. And they put him on trial. And this is another thing I, I mentioned, I think the other day, is how much leeway prosecutors get to just make up a story. And the story they made up was just like that he um, wanted insurance money, that he, that he decided he had enough of her and her cancer, and that he, in fact, the prosecutor says, that he raped her and then stabbed her 55 times.
1: Was there evidence of rape?
0: Glad you asked that question. No, there was no evidence of rape. This murder happened on a Tuesday. He told the police that they had had sex two days before. And in her body, there were only eight sperm. The prosecutor says, aha, that's proof that he did that right before she died. But in fact, biologically, eight sperm being there two days after they had sex is completely normal. That's how it should be between a husband and a wife who are not using protection. That's normal. But the prosecutor was allowed to say that and she said it repeatedly. And she said in her closing arguments, I mean, just like the story that they get to make up based on nothing to me is remarkable. The leeway that's given, you know? Well, I um, you know
1: what it made me think of because I was talking to James about this the other day when we were driving around cause there were cops everywhere. Suddenly, suddenly our neighborhood is like the most policed neighborhood now that covid is over
0: well did people stop stealing your mail (laughs) no no
1: none of the crime is being stopped they're just trying to make their quota of like giving people tickets because they could give people tickets all year okay and i I was saying whenever i get pulled over by cops there have been a couple of times i've been pulled over and they're lying about why they're giving me a ticket like okay or they're stretching it to just need a quota and I'm careful about how much I object because I don't want to be pulled out of the car and like tased or arrested. And, you know, people might say, oh, well that wouldn't happen. But some of these police officers are extremely aggressive and they twist it to you're up to something. So I was driving to my gym and they'd been doing road construction. And like literally the day the road construction is over, there's this median that they've built and it's like halfway in between a street. So it's not closing the street off exactly, but it's like maybe a quarter of the way into the street. There's no signage to say whether or not you can make a left turn. I make a left turn and there's a cop waiting there for me. He pulls me over and he goes, how come you made an illegal turn there? And I said, I've been going to this gym for like five years. I turn this way every time I go to the gym.
0: Yeah, the left turn's not illegal. Right.
1: (laughs) And he's like, well, there's a media in there. And so I said, well, I had no idea. I was confused. And he goes, I don't think so. I don't think you know. And he just started like accusing me and it was infuriating, but I just tried to keep my cool. Right. Because what am I going to do? But I think that for whatever reason, a lot of cops and a lot of prosecutors, sometimes I can't even tell with prosecutors if they care, if the person is innocent or not, like they just, they have enough uh-huh. to make a case, so they're going to make a case. And they dissociate themselves from the other human being. But same thing with police officers. It's like not everybody is lying. Not everybody is up to something.
0: You know, they don't, everyone doesn't have a nefarious reason for turning left, okay? Yeah.
1: it's po- Sometimes it you
0: just want to go to the gym like you've been doing your entire like five years of living there. Exactly. And is it possible
1: that I could be confused because the city changed something and didn't put proper signage? You know? Right. But I I don't know. So the stakes are raised pretty high now when you're talking about murder because your life is at stake. And it's not even just murder. People get accused of all sorts of things and they get perp walked and the whole neighborhood hates them and the cops are harassing them. Yeah.
0: Now, here's part of what happened with this story is at first, everybody, including Betsy's family, And close friends said, Russ would never do this. But then the police and the prosecutors, after a while, convinced her friends and family, some of them, that he had done this. And so then they're testifying about his short temper and how she was scared of him and blah, 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 right? And in fact, one of her closest friends testified that she told her Or that she told her that she was scared of her husband, Russ, that Betsy um, said he would play a horrible game with her during her cancer treatments when they knew she was dying, that she, um, he would put a pillow over her face and say, this is what it's going to feel like when you finally die. And then he would say he was joking and all these things. It's true. So the police said to him, what about all the times that you have, this is still in the interrogation, but it was brought up again at trial. What about all the times you put a pillow over her face and said, this is what it feels like to die. And he was like, I never did that. I never did that. I would never do something like that. But they believed all these stories about him. And this is the difference for me between doing an investigation um, based on evidence versus you know, building the case around what you already believe. And so once they zeroed in on him, they ignored all the evidence to anything else and only wanted to bring in, you know, what supported what they already believed to be true. And that's a big problem here in this case. Sometimes
1: so, I put Walter on James's face while he's sleeping and tell him, this is what it's gonna, gonna feel like. like. what it's gonna be. <laughs> When you go, it's gonna be lots of purring and fur in your mouth and just gasping for air. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're going to have the, that soothing purr out of the
0: <laughs> Walter's purr will be the last thing you ever
1: hear. Yeah, there'll probably be evidence of rape as well.
0: Walter, <laughs> by the way, if y'all subscribe to our, our website for life-changing content, I have got a great picture of Walter on there. He is he is quite the dude. Um. Well, so hold on. I want to backtrack. Okay. Okay, let's backtrack. So
1: oh, these are good friends of hers that are saying, telling the pillow story. Where did the pillow no, story come No,
0: no, no, Singular, one friend. One friend in particular okay, who's telling the story. Friend. She is a big part of this case. She's the reason why the police okay. thought Russ did it. She told the police things like, Betsy was scared of Russ. She said, Betsy- Only one
1: person is saying this, though. There's no other people that- well,
0: All of this stuff starts with this one friend. And then after the police tried to get everybody else that knew Russ, including Betsy's mother and her, some other friends, then they started saying, well, I guess he did have a temper that one time he did this. And so then that's what I'm saying. Like all the times that they said, no, he's a great guy, got pushed aside once they said, well, he did have a temper sometimes. See what I mean? So once the narrative shifted, the police and the prosecutors only kept what stayed in line with their narrative. So it all goes back to this one friend. Well, this one friend that she'd met at an insurance office was also the person who would take her to her chemo appointments and was also the person who took her to her chemo appointment the day of her death. So the friend was the last person to see Betsy alive. And she also told police things like that he had scared Betsy and he threatened her physically before, and she told the police that Betsy had mentioned to her she was composing an email detailing abuse on her computer that she was going to send her. So she says to the police, will you go look for an email on her computer that she was composing? She told me about it, but never sent it. I guess he killed her before he, she could send the email. Um, and eventually the police did find that, that email that was being composed. She also said that she and Betsy were having a sexual affair. Now, <laughs> nobody believes that except for the police and the prosecutors, okay? So all of this stuff, this, all of this case rests with this particular person, her friend, Pam, who had befriended her, pursued a friendship with her during her chemo treatments, drove like half an hour out of her way to drive her to and from her appointments and was the last person to see her alive that day. So based on nothing, Russ gets convicted and he is sentenced to 30 years in prison, the whole time maintaining his innocence. Now, there are two children involved in this as well. Russ and Betsy had two girls. And the were saying this whole time, and the prosecutor said, it's greed. He was tired of this and he wanted the insurance money. Okay. I don't remember exactly how much they said that he was going to get, but that was their case which to me is so flimsy. I mean, Curtis and I have life insurance on each other. How is that evidence when a spouse has life insurance on somebody? Now, did they fake the signature? Did it happen the night before she died? Was it, you know, but if it was on the up and up and it's been in force for years, how is a life insurance policy all by itself evidence of murder? That bothers me as well, right? Okay, a couple of years later, Russ gets a new trial because his attorney is appealing this. It's like, look at all the evidence that was ignored and look at all the evidence that's come forward since. And what happened is they were not allowed in the trial initially, the first trial, to point the finger at the person that Russ believed in it, Pam. Remember Pam? Pam of the 911 call who shot Louie to death? Yes. So he believed Pam, Betsy's friend, was the murderer. They had all kinds of evidence of how and why and all these things. But the number one thing had to do with insurance money. Remember the prosecutor said that Russ's motive was greed. But here's what happened a few days before Betsy was murdered. She made Pam the beneficiary of a life insurance policy for $150,000. Interesting. Yes. Now, Pam said to the police and the prosecutors, she told me she was making me beneficiary because she didn't trust Russ because she knew she had terminal cancer and she didn't trust Russ to take care of her children. She wanted me to do that. So right before Russ's trial, Pam got the money, got the insurance money and created trust for the children. Like she said, she was intending to do. So Russ's trial goes on, I don't know how long, and right after he's convicted, what does Pam do? Drains that trust of all the money. She takes 98% of the money out of that but trust. nobody notices. Well, this they ask her about. Not right away, no, not right away. So two years later, that's one of the pieces of evidence that's come to how he gets a new trial, is that the two children, the daughters, are suing her, saying that money was for us because they were minors, you know. That money was ours and you were supposed to take care of us. So the police say to her, or the people who are reinvestigating say, I'm sorry, what did you do with the money? Oh, I made a trust. What did you do after the trial? Oh, I drained it. Why? Because I didn't like the way the two daughters were talking about me because by then the daughters thought that she'd killed their mother. And she says, I just decided that I was going to keep it because I didn't like the way they were talking about me. Mm. So Russ gets a new trial and Russ is found not guilty. Yay. He didn't do it. I believe, obviously he didn't do it.
1: How long did he spend?
0: Um, years, three years. Okay. So what happens is a lot of these pieces of evidence that were used against Russ were obviously staged. And there's a lot of sources I've got, like St. Louis Magazine and St. Louis Dispatch. And there's a Dateline podcast uh, called There's Something About Pam. And by the way, it's a Keith Morrison, and I love Keith Morrison. It's their Dateline podcast. And this one was called There's Something About Pam. But when you're listening, do you ever speed up or slow down a podcast when you're listening to it? Where you can do one and a half times or two times? No, oh, I've never done that. This one is so slow. I put it on one and a half just so I could just so I could get through it because it's like I love the pacing of my Keith Morrison I love him but on a podcast it's a day just like any other day. Right, right right anyway so it's a really good podcast listen to that one as well there's a lot they play a lot of police interrogations they play a lot of action they play the 911 call they you know it's really good um and so that's where a lot of my stuff for this came from as well and so the stuff that they had against Russ, the attorneys and the people who produced the dateline shows, because they'd investigated this for years and years. They've done several datelines on it as well as the case kind of evolved. And then when this Louis guy got killed, it was just like, what in the fucking fuck, right? So clearly it was staged is what the attorneys and the evidence they're saying produces. Because one of the pieces of evidence against Russ was that his slippers were covered in blood, the underside of his slippers. And the thing that the prosecutor, the story she told to me is so awful, is number one, she says he violated her one last time by raping her. Okay, that's awful, shut up. His wife was murdered. And then she says he's walking around cleaning up the crime scene. She says he raped her, killed her, took a shower to wash off the blood, put on his slippers, and starts trying to clean up the crime scene while he's on the phone with 911. She says all these things. She goes, I submit to you that while he's on 911, he's walking around and you can hear him cleaning up the crime scene. But one of the things that the defense says is if you were to stage a crime, wouldn't that be one of the things you would do is get slippers and smear it around so it looks like the person was walking around, you know? Um, But if you're going to clean up a crime scene, use your head. You're not going to put on slippers and walk around in the blood. And there was no blood anywhere else on him or on the slippers or anything like that. And apparently the stab wounds, especially ones after she died, were very symmetrical and lined up perfectly with each other and were um, evidence, his attorneys say, that it was a staged thing, that somebody was trying to make it look like it was an act of passion and rage, but but that you don't make symmetrical stab wounds when you are in a frenzy of rage. So the conviction is overturned. So fast forward to 2016. Pam decides she's going to put suspicion back on Russ by making it seem like he has hired someone to kidnap her and, um, I don't know, the rest of the convoluted plot, hold her for ransom or something. But she was trying to frame Russ for kidnapping her to prove that he had actually murdered his wife. Okay. So she murders Louis and she eventually goes to jail. She goes to prison. She's sentenced to, um, the, she did the ever popular Alfred plea. Remember those? Yeah. First time I ever heard of the Alfred plea was when the West Memphis three, at least one of them was yeah. allowed to leave prison because of the Alfred plea. It's a very strange thing where you don't admit guilt, but you, you can see there's enough evidence against you to put you away, I don't, I don't know, it's a very strange legal little- yeah,
1: I don't see the, that kind of stuff and, and all the plea bargaining stuff really bothers me because it goes back to the premise that I stated before that one of the things that's broken about our legal system is this desire to win, right? So the plea bargaining and all that, a lot of the times they don't even care if the person is guilty, but they threaten them and they say, well, if you don't take this plea bargain, then I'm going to go for the maximum.
0: That's exactly what they did. She had the death penalty hanging over her head because it was premeditated and it was cold blooded murder. And so, in order for the death penalty to be taken off the table, she did the Alfred plea. Yeah. And so she is sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Louis. Uh, Louis Gumpenberger is his name. So she goes to prison for life for the murder of Louis Gumpenberger. Now, a couple of other weird little notes here. And the first one is, Betsy and Louie are not the only suspicious deaths surrounding Pam. There has been an investigation reopened into the death of her own mother, who died from falling off of her third floor balcony in her apartment in 2013. You
1: know, that's a tough fall, too, because you could possibly live from from a a third floor i know people who've jumped from third or second floor balconies and they've lived
0: yeah you could just break your neck or break your legs or you end up paralyzed you know like
1: you got to go up higher if you're gonna do that kind of murder yeah well third floor is not high enough
0: the thing is i believe that it was never investigated at first because oh this woman fell But now people, now that we know what kind of a person Pam is, they're re-looking at that case and that, you know, you know, in Dallas, they're still uncovering cases. There's a serial killer who just got caught in the last year who was murdering elderly people in assisted living places. He would break in, smother them to death and steal their shit. And he did it all over North Dallas. And police would just come in and go, oh, unless was an old person that died Mm -hmm. and not investigated until they found out this guy, they caught him, I believe, like breaking in somewhere or something. And then they started looking into all of the shit that he had done. And they realized, I think there's at least up to 50. I'm not even kidding. Like he is remarkable in his serial killer work. And it's very difficult once the coroner or the medical examiner has said, here's what it is to undo that, you know? And so when the coroner or whoever comes in and says, oh, look up, she fell, three stories. Well, nah, that's what happened. Not necessarily what happened, but did they do a complete autopsy on her? I mean, do they know if she was even alive maybe when she fell? And did Pam kill her and throw her over, you know? Um, and that was like, I think that happened during the trial for our buddy Russ over here. Pam's mother died during that trial because it was 2011 when the murder happened and 2013, when the trial started. So um, all that was going on around the same time. Um, and each time they're, huh? Do they ever try to go back and get
1: her for best murder?
0: Well, the prosecutor was reluctant to reopen the case, of course, saying Russ did it. And we still believe he did it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, finally, recently, um, this summer, she was charged for Betsy. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, what, do you
1: think, what do you think goes into the psychology of these people who continue to insist even after evidence exonerates people? Do you think it's an ego thing? Do you think they've really convinced themselves? Are they worried about their career?
0: I think it's all of those things. I think that like what you said about when debate, you know, you, you're supposed to win even if you don't believe whatever it is you're arguing. The point is to win. And once you get that conviction, to have it argued that it could not be what it is, what you believe it is, is too much. So that just too much dissonance, too much you know, career damage. Um, it's a shame too, isn't it? I remember about oh, probably 20, 2008 or 2012 when Dallas had a new DA who opened a yeah. section of his department to start looking into cases that were questionable. And who is one of the few DAs in the whole country to do that, to look back and go, let's make sure that we got it right, you know? But for the people who are, as they would say on that Dylan, what's his name show, the practice, officers of the court, shouldn't it matter? Shouldn't the truth matter? Shouldn't it matter? How could it not? Yeah, you know? I guess,
1: you know, it's interesting because I can see how in certain circumstances, especially when people confess or like there's things going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of but i can see how people might proceed for if they have a good case and actually believe that they're convicting someone mm-hmm. but once you find out something that throws it into question to me i would just say all right we need to pause and we need to investigate this and make sure
0: you know uh-huh but it's amazing to me how rare that is yeah, yeah, and a lot of the
1: time it's people who are repeat offenders who have criminal records, and the attitude of the justice system is, well, they've done bad stuff, they're probably going to do bad stuff, so someone's paying for it. And you saw mayor of East East Town, yeah, and I thought it was a really interesting thing that they did where the town kind of turns on her because she's not solving the case fast enough. And I think that's also pretty common too, that the powers that be get a ton of pressure when cases aren't solved.
0: But then it was also people turned on her when she did find the real guy. Not that we're giving away mayor of Town, you know? Right, right. Like there was a blowback when she did figure it out too, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm just pointing out both sides of it. I also know a lot of, I don't wanna say a lot, but I know police officers and and people in the justice system who deal with horrible, horrible stuff all the time. Like things that happen to children and women and and 90% of the time people are guilty and people are trying to pull shenanigans. And so they do become extremely jaded as well. I mean, I was just thinking about an exchange that I had this weekend, so I decided to sell my car, and I sold it to this, one of the places that buys cars, and the whole time they were acting shady, and then when we went to go drop our car off, the guy was scrutinizing the car, and he kept asking me questions about a fender bender that I was in, and he was like opening the hood and like staring, like he was listening to the engine and stuff. And I just turned to James and I was like, this is going to be some bullshit, right? They're going to come back and say, the frame of the car is bent, something, right? They're going to make up something. Yeah. Huh. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like fuming. And then the guy comes over and he smiles and he's like, all right, we have a deal. And he was like, real nice. And so I have all this baggage with car dealers. You know what I'm saying? So I just assumed that they were trying to screw us over and they didn't. But then the flip of that is when we got home with the check, we tried to put it in the bank. And so far the bank won't accept the check. What? So now I'm back to, oh my gosh, did they just try to screw us over, right?
0: So if they just steal your car?
1: I don't know. (laughs) We have to wait until until Monday because we called them and they said they do some pause thing on checks. Oh, okay. But James was saying he has experience with that and this doesn't make any sense. And Oh, no.
0: But anyway,
1: (laughs) how it relates is a lot of the time when we do give people the benefit of the doubt, it ends up being what we thought it was, you know? So I also think some prosecutors and police have also probably been burned with that respect too. So I think we all just build up a, a sort of defense mechanism and
0: well, there's also the fact that these are human beings, you know, and we're all fallible. Right. And I could say, I can't believe that prosecutor made up all these stories, but she really believes it to be true, which we have right. given her the benefit of the doubt. Then the problem is not her. The problem for me is that the law allows her to do that. You know, Right, right. and then she shouldn't be allowed to just make up motivations and say these stories. And, you know, um, that, that to me is the problem.
1: If the law limits people, then people will respect the limitations. So if we have all these laws in place to sort of protect police and protect prosecutors, there should be some consequences for bringing forward a case that you know has flaws in it.
0: Well, there are. I mean, you're supposed to turn over evidence that is exculpatory and all that stuff, you know, Uh, there are, but it's really not that common that somebody who is a prosecutor or a cop actually pays a price. One of the few exceptions is the guy who was the DA during that whole debacle of the Duke lacrosse, you know, mm-hmm. the Duke lacrosse rape scandal thing that actually turned out not to have been true. And he he actually, I think, went to jail for his role in the fraudulent pursuit of that horrible situation. It's like his the whole taxpayers. book about it is really good. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it's really the taxpayers that end up suffering, right? Because, yeah. Yeah. because the city gets sued or the state gets sued. Whereas there should be some individual responsibility. There's there should be a very high standard. Like there should be a very high standard for trying to stop someone from being released after they've been exonerated. Like that should be that should be something too.
0: Yes. Okay. So here's one of the interesting things that makes me also very crazy in the Brendan Dassey case. Right. And he was the nephew. He's of still not out, anybody. right? No, he's sitting in prison with no convictions because his conviction was overturned. It's ridiculous. Um, but the um, appeals process is so horrible and so specific that once a jury has said, you did it, the appeals courts and judges will so rarely look at that and go, yeah, new trial uh, because the ability that you have has to thread this little needle of brand new evidence or you know all the stuff. So in fact, even in this Russ case, the judge did eventually say, we're going to give you a new trial. And from what I understand, that is so rare, like in the history of the state of Missouri, that's only happened like three times. Because once that jury, same thing with Brendan Dassey, once that jury says, you did it, it is almost impossible to to get a judge or appeals panel to say, okay, let's undo what the jury did, which again, we go back to what you and I've talked about with the problem with juries, you know, then it's just tricks from the, the prosecutors and whoever has the most quote-unquote credible story that the jury buys, which is part of the issue for me. But the thing also about this particular story is the murderer is one thing, okay? It's horrible. You murdered someone. But then to take it a step further, to frame someone and allow someone to go to prison for a crime that you did, to me, is, is even uh, worse than just the murder. It is you taking away someone else's freedom and their life and his future with his children potentially if the judge hadn't said get a new trial he could still be sitting in prison for something you did and you're just living your life going yep, got my 150k ooh, ooh. and and that's like to me that is so disgusting and so vile it's almost worse than the premeditated murder you know yeah
1: I mean, not everybody goes to the murder part, but there are just a ton. There are a ton of people out there that are like completely for themselves and just totally don't care how they harm other people.
0: Well, she apparently is one of those people because one of the things that one of the reporters in, uh, let me get my sources again um, oxygen.com, film daily, St. Louis Today magazine. So, St. Louis Today, the reporter was on the Dateline podcast and she said, One of the things she found out about Pam's past was so interesting. She was very boy crazy, but never really had girlfriends. Okay. Some people that's their thing, but the name of the podcast with Keith Morrison is called there's something about Pam, because she says that people would always say there's something about her that people like, but Pam never really pursued friendships with women really ever until Betsy. That's the only time that this reporter could find that she pursued a friendship with someone. And that she pursued this friendship with Betsy during her entire cancer treatments and all these things um, with the implication being because she was going to figure out a way to get money out of this. It wasn't like that Betsy was suddenly tugging on her heartstrings, you know, like from the, can you imagine meeting someone with terminal cancer and going, ha ha, this is where I get my fortune. By the way, 150K, it's not a fortune. You're not going to retire on that. You know, yeah. you're not gonna live out your days in a you know mansion uh you know yeah. just sipping my ties. That's like two years in Missouri. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I yeah,
1: I I think I'm leery a lot of inviting people into my life for for this reason not because i'm afraid they're going to murder me but
0: oh okay i'm like wow <laughs> no, 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 no yeah. There's just murderers all around me now speaking of that marie would you sign here don't worry about what it says above I it there. just sign right there, yeah, right there. Exactly. um
1: i just think some people how do i say this when you invite somebody into your life you should do it incrementally and get to know them it's even though it's a friendship it's still like other relationships in your life. And I think sometimes we become fast friends with people and we invite them in, in such a rapid way, and we don't know anything about them. And I'm not saying to be antisocial or whatever, but I do think that like, she didn't know Pam that long and Pam suddenly had great access to her life and she was vulnerable. So I just think you need to get to know people in the same way that you don't jump into a, a romantic relationship with someone. That's right. all I'm saying. Right. Like I, right. I try, because right. you know, you meet people sometimes and they're like, oh, we had such a great time. Let's hang out every day now. And then it almost always universally goes badly, not with murder, but in some other way. And it's because you didn't take the time
0: to really get to know
1: the person. You just
0: yeah. Got- oftentimes you when you meet somebody and it feels like you've known them forever and, you, you yeah. know, it's like a, it's like a sparkly new romance thing. And oftentimes it fizzles out just as quickly, Um, you know, where you, maybe the little slower pace is better, you know? Yeah, that's true too. But I don't know. It's an interesting thing as well to look at it from Betsy's perspective, because she had terminal cancer, you know? And, And if somebody wants to reach out and offer to help you, you know, I'm not saying you turn over your life insurance to them, which that was a really strange thing too, by the way, the way that she did that, they didn't get it notarized. They were at a public library and walked up to the woman behind the counter and said, Will you be our witness to this? Where I'm signing over this life insurance policy. Why did she do that? Why did Isn't the wife? strange. I wonder why the wife did that. I don't know. I mean, you just- I, I would think that now there is such a thing as chemo brain, you know, and you're not functioning at your highest capacity. And that Pam could have said to her, You know, I'll take care of your kids and you don't worry about anything. And I don't know. But women who kill for life insurance, like how could that possibly be a solution that you have to whatever financial need or want that you feel that to me is it's so awful and there's so many cases of it of women who kill for life insurance or for some level of profit you know Ugh. i don't know man oh, I'm i don't get it.
1: it now that because of this podcast and everything now that you're a celebrity you need to be careful <laughs> celebrity <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah like all those times i get recognized in the street from my podcast no i'm saying like
1: you think you think that you're old friends with somebody and they've just been listening to the podcast and they know all your weird idiosyncrasies (laughs) and they're just trying to get your insurance policy or oh
0: yeah something
1: something from you so just to all the
0: librarians out there if you ever see me walk up to you with somebody and sign over a life insurance policy with in the middle of the day for no reason and i'm dead three days later take a look at marie yeah okay so um that's about all i got on our psycho pam over here i do Um, want to go
1: back to something you said earlier in the podcast you were talking about the name of the betsy that betsy and her husband were sexually active and i was just wondering if there's a scale for that like is there also like sexually sedentary like can you
0: <laughs> how do you know the difference <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm just saying, is there a scale like active is like the highest and then sexually moderate and then sexually sedentary? Sexually sedentary?
0: Yeah. I think that
1: so I think you that still we have should... a sex life, it's just slightly sedentary.
0: You're right. We hear sexually active, but we don't hear sexually sedentary. Yeah. Um, I think we should start using that phrase and see if it, it catches on. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's so weird to go i know that the person's dead and that is that their life is laid bare but there's still her husband he's still alive and now the secrets are not secrets but the privacy of his sex life is out there too you know yeah and it shouldn't have to i don't know like what if they hadn't had sex in five years it's none of anybody's fucking business it's nothing to do with whether or not you know
1: i mean uh, all that stuff is prejudicial like Mm -hmm if somebody looks at pornography, or even if somebody has an affair, that doesn't necessarily mean they want to murder anybody. I know. So I, I, I don't know that we have a lot of prejudice in our culture towards certain types of behaviors, even though other people are, that are prejudiced against it are engaging in them. So right. I just remember like during the whole Bill Clinton scandal, all these Republicans are coming forward and saying he should be impeached where Newt Gingrich is having an affair.
0: They're all having an affair. Republicans
1: in her having an affair. All of
0: them. Yeah. All of them. Oh, hypocrisy. Our good old friend. Yeah. Welcome back into the fray. Um, all right. I'm ready to wrap this up. Say bye bye. Yeah. And hopefully, we will get people to go to our website, com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Now Fear This Podcast. Um, so, I got two messages from listeners recently. Yeah. and one of them wanted me to make sure that you knew that she too identifies as a short-haired person, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, "Yeah, you right said it. that in some it's episode." In of us. Yeah. Yes, yes, we're a community um, now. <laughs> you're a community, so y'all start your doomsday cult. And then another one liked my reference of um, the prime minister of douchebagistan. I don't remember who I said that about. <laughs> yeah, I do insult people, but I'm insulting people who deserve it. So. <laughs> um send us an email tell us what oh, you fear
1: yeah tell us what you think about murdering your spouse with a cat or whether or
0: not you identify as a short-haired person being impregnated um, by a
1: car you know all these things yeah
0: email us fearless at, <laughs> fearless at nowfear.com fearless at now most importantly go to our website for life-changing content
1: yes totally life-changing
0: yeah, that's all you got. <laughs> you just got nothing left. Know. You know, I think this is like 50th episode, or maybe last week was. So happy anniversary! I don't know why, but 50, yay! How
1: does 50 matter? It's it's got to be like a hundred, right? Oh, Up? really?
0: I think 50 is a pretty good milestone. a good. Okay, all right. I'll buy that. Are you just trying to argue with me for your friend Derek or whatever the hell his name is? And Justin, yeah. I
1: don't <laughs> you know, philosophically. I'm not sure that 50 is that significant. <laughs>
0: Now you go.